Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Well, sir, looks like October is approaching. Or as I like to say, encroaching. With it comes the uh, bifurcated promise and threat, pretty leaves and cold weather. Please, no, not again. That's just that's just me. But uh, th- the good news to me about the onset of October, I mean, we're in, we're within six months of the next carnival season. So I bide myself with that time. Now, ladies and gentlemen, maybe you, like me, assumed that when you saw Brett Kavanaugh's statement, I'm assuming you did. Come on. Um, and for those outside America, the, the nominee for the Supreme Court, na- named by <laughs> President Trump, uh, when, he, when you saw his opening statement at the uh, rather explosive and uh, emotional hearing this past Thursday, maybe, as I say, like me, you thought, well, he's just taking a, a page from the Donald Trump playbook of deny, deny, deny when women accuse you, which is reported in the... Uh, Bob Woodward book. But there's another um, referent for that, a little more uncanny. You've uh, heard references all this week to the Anita Hill testimony at the confirmation hearings for Clarence Thomas, the Supreme Court Justice, as he is now. That happened 27 years ago. It was not about sexual assault. It was about sexual harassment. Need to make that clear. It was a different kind of issue, but she she gave some uh, what was said at the time, as at this time, compelling testimony. And then Thomas, now Justice Thomas, was invited by the committee chairman to make his statement to the committee. Here's a portion of it. I think that this today is a travesty. I think that it is disgusting. I think that this hearing should never occur in America. This is a case in which this sleaze, this dirt, was searched for by staffers of members of this committee, was then leaked to the media, And this committee and this body validated it and displayed it at prime time over our entire nation. How would any member on this committee, any person in this room, or any person in this country would like sleaze said about him or her in this fashion, or this dirt dredged up in this gossip and these lies displayed in this manner. How would any person like it? The Supreme Court is not worth it. No job is worth it. I'm not here for that. I'm here for my name, my family, my life, and my integrity. I think something is dreadfully wrong with this country when any person any person in this free country would be subjected to this. This is not a closed room. There was an FBI investigation. 
This is not an opportunity to talk about difficult matters privately or in a closed environment. This is a circus. It's a national disgrace. Sound familiar? Proceed and proceed under the rules. Sound familiar? Yes, as they say in the music business, the uh, mediocre ones borrow, the great ones steal. Now, um, I have unconfirmed reporting that uh, as uh, Judge Kavanaugh took notes on that, he uh, desisted from saying the uh, last part of what Clarence Thomas said in that statement, where you may recall. It's the most famous part of his statement where he called the hearing a high-tech lynching for uppity blacks. And uh, again, unconfirmed that uh, Brett Kavanaugh didn't want to uh, say that part because he didn't know what a lynching was. All I can say, ladies and gentlemen, is um, I just wish I'd known 65 women when I was in high school. Hello, welcome to the show.
from the edge of Lake Pontchartrain, New Orleans, Louisiana. I'm Harry Shearer. Welcome you to this edition of the show. Yeah, there there is other stuff that's been going on that is going on, and we'll talk about that. And 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 then they and we'll talk more about the thing. But first. Yeah, or no. We know about the uh, threat to the bees from neonicotinoids. Now, we're coming at them from another direction, according to The Guardian. The world's most used weed killer damages the beneficial bacteria in the guts of honeybees. I should say, the guts. And makes them more prone to deadly infections, according to new research. As you know... Those uh, neonicotinoids cause harm. Their bees are, pollination is vital to about three-quarters of all food crops, that's all. Well, we can live on the other quarter, can't we? For the sake of glyphosate manufactured by Monsanto under the name Roundup, I guess they, it's, it's more literal than they thought. It targets an enzyme only found in plants and bacteria. But the new study shows that glyphosate damages the microbiota. Thank you that honeybees need to grow and fight off pathogens, germs and viruses. Fightings show that glyphosate, the most used agricultural chemical ever, well, we haven't been using, oh, that may be contributing to the global decline in bees, along with the loss of habitat. Quote, we demonstrated that the abundances of dominant gut microbiota species are decreased in bees exposed to glyphosate at concentrations found in the environment said uh, one of the authors. They found young worker bees exposed to glyphosate exposure died more often when later exposed to a common bacterium. Well, don't... Oh. Other research from China and published in July showed that honeybee larvae grew more slowly and died more often when exposed to glyphosate. So when they're born or before they're born. Why why aren't the right-to-lifers on this? An earlier study in 2015 showed the exposure of adult bees to the herbicide at levels found in fields impairs the cognitive capacities needed for a successful return to the hive. Where the hell was the hive? The, what was I looking for? I'm a, I'm a bee. What? The biggest impact of glyphosate on bees is the destruction of the wildflowers on which they depend, said uh, a, an executive at the conservation group Bug Life. I still think it's a boy band. I'm sorry. Evidence to date suggests direct toxicity to bees is fairly low. However, the new study clearly demonstrates that pesticide use can have significant unintended consequences. A professor at the University of Sussex, Dave Goldson, says we have to add glyphosate to the list of problems that bees face. Yeah, thinning hair. Morgan, this study is also further evidence that the landscape scale application of large quantities of pesticides, he says, has negative consequences that are often... Hard to predict. Yeah, who could have thought the stuff that was meant to kill things would kill things or make make it easier, make it harder for them to live? You know, go figure. Go figure, department. Just that's what you tell the bees. Go figure. And now, news from outside the bubble. I bet you missed this. I bet you missed this. 
When uh, President Trump was at the United Nations this week, you, uh, I'm sure you heard all about that. <laughs> Didn't expect that reaction, but that's okay. Yeah, but something else even more comical happened. Canada, which is about to legalize marijuana, signed on to a Trump-led declaration renewing the war on drugs. Canada was rebuked, according to the Globe and Mail, by a group of world leaders and experts on drug policy for doing that and for passing up a critical moment to provide global leadership on drug regulation. The Trudeau government's decision to sign on to the declaration, which was released by the White House on the sidelines of Trump's appearance at the <laughs> President Trump's appearance at the General Assembly, contradicts Ottawa's previous skepticism of Washington's drug war at home and abroad. And as I said, comes just weeks before cannabis legalization in Canada. They're going to call it cannabis. No, they're not. Former New Zealand Prime Minister Helen Clark said she believed both Canada and Mexico, which also signed the declaration, even though President-elect Obrador has repeatedly said the war on drugs has failed and he will pursue new policy. She says they both have likely signed on, reluctantly held hostage by the negotiations over the North America Free Trade Agreement, with a critical deadline looming. The statement Canada signed on, to, uh, on for reiterates the primacy of international narcotics control efforts with an emphasis on criminalization and the role of law enforcement. The statement was not drafted in the usual multilateral process of a declaration from the UN. The wording was presented as non-negotiable. Do I smell John Bolton? 130 countries signed, 63 did not. The dissenters include major U.S. allies like Germany, Norway, and Spain. The war on Spain, soon to begin. And another story, experts say a German tanker that sank in the Baltic, or a tanker that tank in the Baltic at the end of World War II will sooner or later cause an environmental catastrophe. Getting authorities to take action is proving difficult. This is from Deutsche Welle a English-language-German broadcaster. The name of the tanker, ladies and gentlemen, I'm proud to say, was the Franken. The fr I'm, I'm a, yeah, I wasn't expecting that reaction either. The Franken was a floating gas station. Some say, no. The ship supplied the German Navy operating in the Baltic with fuel during World War II. It had a capacity of up to 11,000 tons of fuel, and was hit by Russian torpedoes and sank off Gdansk, or Gdansk off Gdansk. After the war, international law stipulated that the wreck was now Polish property at the time. Recovering the Franken was unprofitable. I know the feeling. It just sat there and wasn't in anyone's way, says an uh, official of the Maritime Institute in Gdansk. You're, you're welcome. But that has now changed. The question is not whether a disaster will happen, but when says an experienced navigator and captain. There's still 828,000 liquid gallons of fuel on board. A significant amount was lost during the attack, but there's still a lot left, thanks to good German engineering, that some of the tanks are still intact. But even the best engineering can't change the laws of physics, says Deutsche Welle. The salt water is causing the steel of the tanks to corrode at a rate of about a third of an inch per decade. Over the past seven decades, seven of the 12 millimeters of the tank walls may very well have vanished. If the hull corrodes even further, the wreck could collapse under its own weight. The Franken could collapse under its own weight, which could trigger an uncontrolled leak with dramatic consequences for the environment. And the Baltic Sea, in case you didn't know, is an inland sea 
that is uh, currently experiencing an, an unusually slow of exchange of water, pardon the expression, with the neighboring North Sea. The cost of uh, salvaging the fuel load is estimated at between 9 and uh, about $21 million, including insurance and disposal. Oh, you don't need to dispose of it. Treat it like nuclear waste. The, uh, there's no time to lose, says a managing director of uh, the Baltic Sea Conservation Foundation. In the view that dynamic economic development in Gdansk Bay and the advancement of tourism in the area, it should be regarded as an extremely important project. The Polish shipping minister in July set up a special team to solve the problems caused by the Franken. And environmental activists are hoping to receive EU emergency financing for the salvage operation. German authorities, they say the wreck is in Polish waters. Wreck, uh, that's uh, an attitude that uh, one environmentalist it says it does not surprising. Nobody wants to set a precedent. Wrecks are a huge problem because there are thousands of them. This is something people don't like to talk about in public. Well, let's have a hearing. News from outside the bubble, ladies and gentlemen. It's a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. It is a smart world and getting smarter. Right now, you can choose whether to have a fitness tracker on your uh, corpus. That's going to change. One of the largest life insurance providers in the United States will no longer no longer offer policies that do not include digital fitness tracking. John Hancock will now sell only interactive policies that co- collect health data through wearable devices such as a smartwatch. This is basically from the BBC. Policyholders can earn discounts and rewards such as gift cards for hitting exercise targets. Critics said the announcement was, quote, creepy and dystopian. An international partner of John Hancock, he has partners. I guess they liked his signature. Uh, An international insurance brand, Vitality, has popularized the idea of interactive health and and life insurance by offering discounted devices such as the Apple Watch in connection with its policy. But John Hancock launched its first interactive policy three years ago, and will now apply the model across all of its policies. Privacy advocates warned the insurers could use tracking data to punish customers who fail to meet targets. You, too big. It's, you've, this is fat shaming with a vengeance. Naturally, the American dystopian surveillance state will combine insurance with fat shaming. Welcome to hell, said Matt Stoller of the Open Markets Institute. Thanks, Matt. We've been here for a while. The insurance industry says it is tightly regulated and must be able to justify rate increases or policy changes. John Hancock said customers would not have to log their activities to qualify for coverage, but they would not benefit from the discounts if they chose not to. They said uh, it's too early to say whether it's paying fewer claims because of the Vitality program. Data it's collected so far says vitality policyholders live between 13 and 21 years longer than the rest of the insured population. Maybe they're selecting them in some way. We don't know that. So smart we are and getting smarter. But now 
ladies and gentlemen, we have heard so much, I'm going to say, rhetoric. Don't take it the wrong way. It's a, um, about our democracy and our sacred, our sacred democracy and how um, you know, we have to take seriously any threat to undermine our sacred democracy and, and if necessary, get more hostile towards foreign countries that are plotting to undermine our democracy. You know the bit. But we're not doing anything about this. Voting machines pose serious risks to U.S. security, according to hackers, and reported by the BBC, you see, outside the bubble as well. A report outlines major flaws in voting hardware weeks before the U.S. midterms. One ballot machine used in 23 U.S. states carries a cybersecurity flaw that was reported over a decade ago. In August, the DEFCON conference in Vegas ran. A voting village participants were encouraged to uncover flaws in U.S. election infrastructure by hacking into various computer systems. The organizers of the conference this week released a 50-page report on their findings. They described the number and severity of flaws in voting equipment as, quote, staggering, unquote. Now, the equipment isn't staggering. The, uh, the evidence is. Quote, the problems outlined in this report are not simply election administration flaws that need to be fixed for efficiency's sake, but rather serious risks to our critical infrastructure and thus national security. National security. We're supposed to do something about that, aren't we? We're supposed to salute and everything? More than 30 voting machines and other pieces of equipment were made available to attendees at the conference, including the M650 used by 23 states, the report says vulnerabilities mean the M650 can be remotely hacked. I'm doing it right here as I speak to you. A design flaw reported as far back as way back in 2007 was also found in the model of the M650 tested during the conference. They argue that the, uh, the organizers do that because the unit is designed to process a high volume of ballots, hacking one of the machines could enable an attacker to flip the electoral college. And you know what that means. It doesn't mean... No bird involved. The makers of the M650, election systems and software, told the Wall Street Journal that because the voting machine uses paper ballots, votes can be audited. They say the security protections on the M650 are strong enough to make it extraordinarily difficult to hack in a real-world environment. Four U.S. senators signed a letter to ES&S saying they were disheartened that the company had chosen to dismiss the hackers' demonstrations. ESNS responded, saying forums open to anonymous hackers may be a green light for foreign intelligence operatives and should be viewed with caution. Boogity, boogity, boogity. Other systems include the AccuVote, TSX, used by 18 states. The system uses a smart card reader for users to cast votes. The report says it can be easily disconnected to disrupt the process. Attendees at the conference were also able to reprogram voting smart cards wirelessly using mobile phones. Well, it wouldn't be smart if you couldn't do that. It would be dumb. Over 15 years, we've studied numerous election systems and voting machines across the world. Every single one has been found to have severe vulnerabilities, one of the authors of the report told the BBC. So we should stick with them, right? On uh, the uh, Washington front... Republican Senator James Lankford of Oklahoma said an election security bill, the Secure Elections Act, will not be passed by Congress ahead of the midterms. 
and an amendment for $250 million to increase spending on election security measures was blocked earlier this year by Republican senators. Our our sacred democracy, ladies and gentlemen. I love it. And it's uh, it's getting more sacred every day, is all I can say. As as most things tend to do. And now news of Dominion. More than half the world's killer whales are threatened by a group of toxic industrial chemicals that accumulate in their blubber and can be passed on from mother to calf. This is according to scientists in Denmark, published in the journal Science. Killer whale populations found in the most polluted seas around Japan, Brazil, the UK, or the Northeast Pacific, the authors report, are tending toward complete collapse. Polychlorinated biphenyls, a ghost from the past. These chemicals were produced in immense quantities from the 1930s onward, based out in the 70s and 80s. They were very stable, however. They weren't geniuses, but they were very stable and were unable to conduct an, elect- an electrical current and therefore excellent insulators. So they were used in the electric industry and other ac- uh, applications, including as sealants. Not seals, sealants. It's this stability that means PCBs stubbornly refuse to degrade in the environment. They're semi-volatile, meaning over time they can evaporate into the atmosphere, but then later deposit on surfaces when encountering cooler temperatures or with rainfall. This continued evaporation and deposition, called cycling, has ensured they're smeared around the entire planet. They're just as likely to be found deep in the ocean or in Arctic snow as in neighborhood soils. This from uh, The Conversation. Second problem is that PCBs tend to work their way up the food chain, accumulating in ever higher concentrations as tiny animals are eaten by small animals, eaten by larger. This process of biomagnification is most evident in marine food webs, where fatty tissue like blubber is an important feature of animals at the top of the web. Top of the web to you. Why are they continuing to cause a problem if they were phased out? The trend varies from place to place of their, of their concentration decline. And the trend varies between different species. There's evidence climate change is disturbing the cycling of these chemicals, slowing the rate of environmental decline. And complex food webs in northern oceans are undergoing subtle alterations. Predators like sharks, large fish, or killer whales are changing their diets and exploiting new prey, which in turn alters their exposure to PCBs and other contaminants. And there's nothing to be done about it. So forget I said it. Because we got Dominion, and they don't. Next time, Wales, you know, lobby with the the people who grant Dominion, and uh, good luck to you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, um, you know we're going to now talk for a while about the thing. You know that the uh, FBI has been, thanks to a uh, last-minute 180 by retiring Arizona Senator Jeff Flake, the FBI has been called in to, to conduct a one-week investigation of the current credible evidence in the case involving Dr. Ford and Judge Kavanaugh. And there's already much debate about what the limits, what limits may or may not have been imposed on the FBI by the White House, uh, or in particular the White House lawyer. 
And there's also talk about what the FBI can and can't do. Now, they can't subpoena anybody. You have to voluntarily agree to talk to them. And uh, they don't draw conclusions. But they have a, a, obviously, they've done this a lot. They have a very particular way of dealing with witnesses in these kinds of uh, highly charged situations. And uh, one of the ways is to uh, sit the witness down um, in a comfortable room, make them, you know, offer them a beverage of their choice, and uh, try to make them feel as comfortable and as re- relaxed as possible, and say to them at some point, you like the temptations, don't you? And uh, most likely the uh, witness will say, well, everybody likes the temptations. And then uh, the FBI agent will turn the lights down and play this. From New Orleans, this is Le Show. Uh, 
now we're going back in time again uh, because there have been so many echoes this week of what happened 27 years ago. The um, the most icon- now that there was one echo um, when Dr. Ford testified, she had asked for uh, expressed her need for uh, caffeine at an early point, and uh, thenceforth during her testimony, prominently displayed in front of her. Uh, was uh, a container of Coke, which, of course, harkens back to perhaps the most iconic piece of testimony from the Anita Hill testimony. Testimony from the testimony. Yeah, I said that. From the Anita Hill testimony against Clarence Thomas 27 years ago. Quote, oddest episode I remember, and then talked about the Coke incident. Once again, for me, please. The um, incident involved his going to his desk, getting up from a work table, going to his desk, looking at this can and saying, who put pubic hair on my Coke? Quote, who has put pubic hair on my Coke? Question mark, unquote. That's what she said. That's a gross thing to say, isn't it? And on this program, 27 years ago, that led to this. Um, okay. Everybody got something to drink? Coke, I hope. Well, uh, yeah, except for Dean. Uh, he's got uh, that heart murmur. He's, uh, you, you've got your uh, avion, don't you? Yeah, thanks for bringing it up. Well, it's it's just, uh, I think when the the Coke, in all fairness, when the Coke people are 2,000 miles away, we want them to know that uh, we're not doing that kind of number on them. Well, I appreciate that, although uh, we don't necessarily uh, suspect that uh, anybody is uh, doing uh, uh, the numbers on us. <laughs> well, that's because you haven't been in the motion picture business. <laughs> that's correct. <laughs> all right, listen, Blaine, uh, and everybody else down in Atlanta, that I'm sure is listening in, um... Our commission was to bring you what's hot. Uh, your commission was 15% of 90%. No, of no, uh, uh, our, our, our mandate was to bring you what's hot. And, and so far you've pitched this Roseanne Barr doing a Coke commercial with her parents. Yeah, yeah. With, with the funny hitting. And, uh, and she ends up hitting them. And making Coke the official sponsor of the Crips. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you want, the Bloods? We're wired into them, too. Okay. Look, this is what we're calling about. What's everybody been watching over the weekend? Golf. (laughs) Besides golf, what? Cartoons on Saturday morning. Star Trek, I don't know what. The hearings. What? The the hearings. Dean's sitting at the other end of the table. Uh, uh, What hearings? We went to the FDA on that labeling thing months ago. Uh, uh, Clarence Thomas, Anita Hill, you know. You got it. <laughs> okay. And? <laughs> Only one brand gets this constant exposure throughout this piece. It's Coke. She's with him in the Coke can, and the senator's repeated, and he denies it, but it's always with the Coke can. <laughs> uh, was it diet or classic or what? Well, we can, 
I mean, be pretty sure it wasn't new Coke. <laughs> <laughs> so here's what we were thinking: a very hot current dance tune, to which the rights, you know, for us are like a piece of cake. We get them like that. We adapt that. Yeah. And but uh, well, here's a little demo. Go ahead. Everybody here. It's just a demo. See, this is animated. Voices are much higher. Everyone drink Coke now. And we get that, that same woman who did the, the re- actual record. Yeah. Uh-huh. There's a record. This is a very hot record. Okay, you get it. Uh-huh. What's that got to do with? Uh, it's animated. Uh, very uh, cute little things dancing on top of a Coke can yeah. doing this number. Uh-huh. So they're doing the number. They're, they're, they're singing the song. Uh-huh. See, the little animated things are singing this song and... and they're dancing like Paula Abdul in her dreams. That's good dancing. <laughs> yeah. It's very good dancing. Yeah. It's animated. Uh-huh. State of the art. You know, George Lucas, whatever. Uh-huh. And, and, and what are these things? <laughs> what everybody's been talking about on a Coke can for three days. Pubic hairs. Animated, animated pubic, pubic hairs. hairs. Cuter, cuter, cuter than the raisins, you know? Uh, dancing on a Coke can, making fun, being hip, and, and just reinforcing the idea that Pepsi... You know, Pepsi shows up somewhere, sometime, but Coke is everywhere. See, it's really the long-term picture this fits into. You know, it's it's like Disney uh, wrapping up jocks right after they win something. You know, Coke's franchise becomes the entire world because Coke is everywhere, even even in a can being danced on by animated pubic hairs. Wherever, I mean, the I mean, kids are just going to go. Yeah. Plain. Yeah. Plain. Listen, nobody thought raisins were cute, right? Yeah. At, you know, at one point, right. that was nuts. Uh-huh. Okay, now, today, they're outselling Barbie at retail, for God's sake. Okay, look, I, I really don't know if I'm the person to take this idea upstairs. Blaine, look, we can talk direct to whoever. You know, we could fly down there. I mean, this is hot. This can be done overnight in a computer. I mean... Tell you something, you would not believe what they're doing these days with the computer animation. I mean, it's just I, way I, I, beyond. I'll tell you what. Hmm? We'll get back to you on it, all right? We think we should jump on it. Before Pepsi does something in this arena. Uh, that's not really what's, what's worrying to me at this moment. Well. Thanks, boys. All right, talk to you soon, Blaine. Boy. Boy, that went over like Hudson Hawk, too, huh? I told you we should have sped up the voice on the tape. Hmm? Those damn pubic hairs didn't sound cute. And now we're now we're back at now. And from Coke being spotlit in the earlier hearings, another beverage was under the spotlight in the Brett Kavanaugh hearings. The subject, of course, uh, of much questioning since... Dr. Ford had testified that her recollection was that Kavanaugh and his friend, Mark Judge, (laughs) Mark Judge, um, were heavily intoxicated at the time of the alleged attack. And so much of the the questioning of Judge Kavanaugh related in, uh, in, in the following hours to his drinking habits, 
and his beverage of choice. I drank beer with my friends. Almost everyone did. Sometimes I had too many beers. Sometimes others did. I liked beer. I still like beer. But I did not drink beer to the point of blacking out. Blacking out. Blacking out. Blacking out. Beer, yeah? Blacking out. Beer, yeah? There is a bright line between drinking beer, which I gladly do, and which I fully embrace, and drinking beer. If every American who drinks beer, or every American who drank beer in high school is suddenly presumed guilty of sexual assault, we'll be in an ugly new place in this country. Yeah. Ugly new place, beer, yeah. which I fully embrace. Drank beer, uh, my friends and I, the boys and girls. Yes, we drank beer. I liked beer. Still like beer. We drank beer. Beer, beer, beer. Sometimes, sometimes probably had too many beers, and sometimes other people had too many beers. What we drank you? beer. We liked beer. What do you consider to be too many beers? I don't know. Uh, you know, we whatever the chart says uh, on your blood alcohol chart. We drank beer, and you know, so so did I think the vast majority of of people our age at the time, but in any event, we drank beer and and uh, still do. So whatever, yeah. Beer, yeah? Beer, yeah? Beer, beer, beer. Still like beer. I like beer. I don't know if you do. Okay. You like beer, Senator, or not? Uh, what do you like to drink? Next one is... Senator, what do you like Judge. Too many beers? Too many beers. I liked beer. I liked beer. Beer, yeah. Beer, beer, beer. beer, yeah. Still like beer. I still like beer. That was 1452 beers ago. We like beer. So whatever. Yeah.
And now, ladies and gentlemen, the apologies of the week. We're so sorry. Rose McGowan has apologized to Asia Argento over remarks she, McGowan, made following reports that surfaced two months ago alleging that Argento had paid off an actor for keeping quiet about an alleged sexual assault in 2013 when the actor was 17. On 27 August, I released a statement about her, which I now realized contained a number of facts that were not correct, McGowan has tweeted. The most serious of these was that I said that the unsolicited nude text messages she received from him had been sent since he was 12 years old. In fact, I had misunderstood the messages that she exchanged with my partner, Rain Dove, which made clear he had sent Asia inappropriate text messages only after they met up again when he was 17. I do not feel it is my place to comment further on what happened. Safe to say I now appreciate it was not as I thought it was previously in my statement. I challenged why she had not acted as I think any responsible would. Of course, does not apply in the same way as when the situation involves a 17-year-old or a 12-year-old. I deeply regret not correcting my mistake sooner and apologize to her for not doing so. In response, Argento seemed to accept the apology but criticized McGowan for waiting so long to send it. What took you so long? Veteran Coachella Valley news anchor Chris Long has remained off the air for more than a week after he took to Facebook to defend Supreme Court nominee Judge Brett Kavanaugh from an accusation that he sexually assaulted an acquaintance as a teenager. Long's an evening anchor at CBS Local 2. He's not appeared on the air since that September 17th evening broadcast. His public post spurred fierce debate on Facebook over the assault claim itself, as well as whether Long had erred erred under traditional journalistic ethics by weighing in on social media. He reigns on a leave of absence, according to his general manager. He said it was in a text message he's unable to comment, saying, I'm thinking of my future. He said he stands by his remarks in the original post in an interview with the Desert Sun, but would further emphasize he condemns rape and understands why some victims of sexual assault do not report it initially. I wish I hadn't written the post because it's caused me a lot of headaches. He later deleted the post and posted an apology. So very sorry, let's check the weather. Voice actor Rachel Butera does voices for The Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle, Family Guy, and The Howard Stern Show, as well as an upcoming uh, Star Wars movie released a video of herself imitating Dr. Ford's voice. The tweet was delayed about a half hour after it was posted. It received a slew of backlash. That's the way I like my backlash, in a slew. Butera then posted another tweet. I wonder if she's any relation to Sam Butera. Uh, posted another tweet which read, I was no, by no means mocking a rape victim. I am 100% on Christine Blasey Ford's side. I am just a vocal impressionist and decided to imitate her voice, but it was a mistake. I apologize, and I believe all women. She's now set her Twitter account to private. Wisconsin Representative Rob Brooks issued an apology this week for what he said were stupid comments he made while under the influence of alcohol to three female staffers. Was it beer? Do you like beer? 
The Milwaukee Journal Sentinel reported that the Republican Assemblyman said he would be buying drinks for everyone except for Representative Jesse Rodriguez, the only Hispanic Republican serving in the Assembly. Quote, because she's Hispanic. Brooks reportedly made the comments while, quote, obviously inebriated, unquote, at a restaurant shortly after a GOP caucus event in Wisconsin Dells. I blame the Dells. Your outlet reported, the outlet being the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, that's a newspaper for you kids, that uh, Brooks also made sexual remarks towards two female Republicans. A statement uh, the newspaper obtained from the three female staffers described Brooks's comments as offensive and inappropriate. They confirmed in a statement to the newspaper that Brooks apologized for the incident, saying they were pleased with the appropriate way in which this case was handled and have already put it behind us. I regret I made some stupid comments while under the influence of alcohol after our caucus in the Dells. I, too, blamed the De- No, he- I take full responsibility for my behavior and to apologize for my actions. I'm ready to move on from this incident and fully support and will adhere to the assembly policies to maintain a safe workplace for legislators and staff. It's a thing. The head of the Catholic Church in Germany apologized this week for all the failure and pain after a report found thousands of children, kinder, had been sexually abused by the German Catholic Church clergy and said the guilty must be punished. Researchers from three German universities examined 38,000 personnel files spanning a 70-year period ending three years, four years ago, found indications of sexual abuse by 1,670 clerics, more than 3,700 possible victims. You do the math. The German magazine Der Spiegel reported the findings earlier this month after the report was leaked. You know, the church is dealing with this all over the world. For all the, all this must not remain without consequence, said Reinhard Marx, chairman of the German Bishops' Conference. Those affected are entitled to justice. For all the failure, pain, and suffering, I must apologize as the chairman of the Bishops' Conference, as well as personally. The study makes it clear to us that the Catholic Church has by no means overcome the issue of dealing with the sexual abuse of minors. Sexual abuse by Catholic clerics has not ended. One of the report's authors and a mental health institute told a news conference. He said, many cases were likely to ne- have never been reported. Well, what's wrong? Why don't, if your parents, I, or been taken seriously enough to be noted in the files. The resulting numbers in the report are the tip of an iceberg whose actual size we cannot assess, he said. Those are the apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, But it takes us right to news of the godly. Pope Francis, Francis the talking pope, has defrocked a once prominent priest in Chile. That priest's case has been at the center of public outrage about clerical sexual abuse and its concealment in that country. This is a rare move, Vatican officials said, show the pope's determination to tackle that scandal. The priest, Reverend Fernando Caradima, was found guilty of sexual offenses by the Vatican way back in 2011, but his cases proved particularly toxic for Francis, according to the New York Times, who long ago, who long, sorry, long defended a bishop accused of covering it up, Juan Barros, including during the Pope's visit to Chile this past January. Just this past January. Imagine that. A month later, following storm of protest, 
which is different from a slew of backlash. Francis sent sex crimes investigators to Chile, and that began his about-face and, and resulted in 34 of the Catholic bishops in Chile, all of them, all of them, offering their resignations. It's one more step in Pope Francis' determined stance against abuse, says Vatican spokesman Greg Burke. We were before a various, very serious case of putrefaction, that's Burke's word, that had to be pulled out from its roots. I think he means by its roots, but he's a spokesman. He would know. He described the move as an exceptional measure, justified because Mr. Karadima's serious offenses have caused exceptional damage to the church. It was a 2,300-page scathing report concluding there was a culture of abuse and a pattern of inaction and concealment within the Chilean church. It accused church leaders of failing to investigate credible allegations, even destroying documents to conceal them, and transferring priests accused of abuses to other parishes. Well, they would never do because we've never heard of news of the godly. And finally, we're not number one. New study suggests the United States lags behind dozens of other countries in terms of video streaming quality over wireless networks. And really, that's so important, isn't it? Latest state of mobile video report from an organization called Open Signal examined wireless video uh, quality in more than 69 countries using 90 billion measurements. Sounds like a label of a probiotics jar. The report examined video load times, the volume of stuttering and buffering during playback and overall video resolution. The United States ranked 34th in terms of average network speeds and 59th in terms of users' overall video experience. Big reason for U.S. poor showing policies by wireless carriers that artificially restrict video quality via throttling or deprioritization. Zap, you've been deprioritized. We're not number one. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week when it returns. That is to say, I'll be doing it at the same time. You can hear it at the same time over this radio station or hear it whenever you want on your other audio device of choice. It's all up to you. And it'll be just like 
it being up to me if you'd agree to join with me then, would you? All righty, thank you very much. Uh huh. A typical show chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, no longer in exile in Hawaii desk. Thanks, as always, to Pam Halstead and the crew here at WW. <laughs> I'm choking up over the call letters. That's how strongly I feel about WWNO here in New Orleans. For help with today's broadcast. No, I'm choking up about the help. The email address for the show. A playlist of the music you're hearing and have heard. And your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts. All at harryshearer.com. And I'm relentlessly on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WW... Let me do this. WWNO New Orleans, <laughs> flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. There are frogs near the slump. So long from New Orleans.